Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Brittany Schaefer. Brittany was a journalist in Asia for many years. She is now a mom, independent writer, and author of Annabelle Pickering and the Sky Pirates and several other books. She also blogs at On the Banks on Substack. She's here with me today to talk about her Twitter suspension, and as far as I know, she's the first person to ever get kicked off for simply answering a question. So, Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm a little peeved at you because you've left me alone now among the resistors. I'm the last one who's never been kicked off Twitter or even warned on any social media but I understand that you now are among the elite and you've got an article on your Substack called my Twitter suspension subtitle and why maybe it's a good thing. What happened and why is it a good thing? Yeah, well, I'm taking my badge and I'm running with it. It's a good thing for a number of reasons, but let me just start by talking about what actually happened. So, you know, as background, I was kind of starting to wonder that maybe I was doing something wrong or maybe I'm just not reaching enough people because I had never been suspended before. And so finally, finally, due to the grace of the Twitter gods, I had responded to a tweet, which I can't see that tweet anymore, but I can see my response in the, the note that Twitter sent me. The tweet was something along the lines of, when did you, you know, what's the date that you knew COVID was a scam? Something like that. And so I responded October, 2019. And so I get this notice from Twitter that, you know, you're for violating the policy on spreading misleading and potentially harmful information related to COVID-19 that, you know, your account has been suspended. All I have to do, so this is not a permanent suspension. All I have to do is click delete and acknowledge that my tweet violated the Twitter rules. And in my post, when I wrote about this, I did say, well, should I, should I give all the background about why I said October 19, 2019? Because well, the first my, thing that popped into my mind was what is the fact check? It was really November 2019, <laughs> but also in true Maoist fashion, you have to go and delete your own tweet and admit that you are a bad person. 
and reclaim your social credit score. But yeah, give as much information as you want. What's special about October 2019? So probably not a whole lot of people were aware of this at the time because it was just sort of, if you were in the medical freedom movement back then in California, you would have known about this. Otherwise, you know, it wasn't making big headlines. Governor Newsom signed into law in October of 2019. It was actually an amendment to existing law governing the powers of health of health officers in the state. And it just added to existing law, but what it added was pretty chilling. And I'm just going to quote. Okay, so here's here's a quote from the bill. There's more where it talks about health officers having the power to, you know, go in and seize property, seize pets, seize. I think the wording was like live bodies and dead bodies. You know, the the meaning of it was live bodies and so basically the power to take people out of their homes and take their pets and take their property and stuff. But can they rob graves? I mean, what? I don't know. I mean, that's a good that's a good question. They strike me as the kind of people who would want to. So here's the quote: The local health officer may issue orders to other governmental entities within the local health officer's jurisdiction to take any action the local health officer deems necessary to control the spread of communicable of the communicable disease. So this amendment is about, you know, actions that can be taken in the event of a scary communicable disease. So any action the local health officer deems necessary. So no no restrictions, no no law to guide what they can and can't do. It sounds like no limit on what they can and can't do. And that was, you know, rightly terrifying to a lot of people. I wrote in my post, I quoted Rick Jaffe, who is an amazing attorney who's done a lot of work for the medical freedom movement, who had kind of the the most conservative take on this and said, oh, it's probably not going to be a big problem. And, you know, people are overreacting, blah, blah, blah. But at the time, I and a lot of other people felt like this is this is the writing on the wall. We had already been through years of California legislators trying to cram vaccines down people's throats. I mean, they had basically eliminated the any exemptions for school kids. It, you know, technically you can still possibly get one if your if your child has almost died from a specific vaccine and it's and that reaction is on their list of approved, you know, the the American Academy of Pediatrics list of approved you know, all this stuff, they might be able to get an exemption for that vaccine, not for any of the other ones. So it was already at a crazy point. And when I saw that, I was just, I was like, I think they're going to, I think they're planning something. I think they're going to do something early in 2020 and we need to get out of California. And so I talked with my husband about it. We were just exploring ideas. I took a trip to Idaho to to look around, see, you know, if that might be a place we might want to settle. And then my dad was in the hospital. And so that kind of put a quash on things. We weren't going to move while my dad was was in the hospital. And then he ended up passing away at the end of, of 2019. So we didn't follow through on those plans, but I was still, you know, pretty nervous. And then when COVID I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was, I guess I was surprised that it wasn't just California. I'd been expecting, you know, maybe something nationwide, but that California reacted to in a crazy way. I wasn't expecting crazy town to take over the whole world, but I was expecting something. And so when when it hit, it was like, oh, 
okay, that's, that's what it was. And do we even need to leave California? Because it's crazy everywhere else too. Footnote, we've since left California, but, but that's just, you know, because California did end up being worse than, than a lot of other places. So that's the background to that. I don't know if that, if that bill, AB 262, ended up being relevant in the, in the scheme of things. I don't know if, if local health officers relied on that for the powers that Newsom kind of gave them anyway. I mean, Newsom, you know, just turned California into a dictatorship and just started issuing these crazy orders right and left, many of which were unlawful, and he, you know, still does it. So I don't know if 262 ended up mattering that much, but it was certainly true that it was the writing on the wall. It was something to pay attention to, to, to look where these folks were headed. Yeah, I think the one that everyone points to now, and I had no idea about until this started, was that, what did they call it, Event 300 or something like that? 201, Event 201, yeah. Event 201, where they simulated the same thing, right? And they came up with like the same numbers that that guy from England came up with. Right, Neil Neil Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, and it turned out to be so many less. But yeah, it's funny too. Well, you wronged me again, so you've left California. Where'd you go? We're in Kentucky now. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Uh, the only but place with a good, I'm in Western New York. Now I have to say that in Niagara County in Western New York, it's a lot different than living even 10 miles away in Erie because Western New York is all Republican red counties, except for Erie, where the city of Buffalo, where I was born is in, and that's heavily blue. So like earlier this year, when the governor here did another mask mandate. Nobody wore them in any of those counties. In fact, the uh, county government said, we're not going to enforce this. But then if you drove from, you know, the restaurant near my house, 10 minutes uh, west, you would hit Erie County and everyone's in a mask, even on the sidewalks. So that's crazy how they have so much control over the population. It's one thing to make rules and you're forced but when you got people walking down the sidewalk where they don't even have to wear a mask. Right. They... And that's that's kind of the, that's to me, that's like the scariest part of it is just how, you know, I've, I've never had any illusions about how clued in people are to the evils of government. But to see this play out in front of you, it's just it's it's kind of it's it's jaw dropping. You know, it's I, I just don't even know. You just I, I it's like I can't I don't condemn them. I don't. I don't know what pity, maybe I, it's not even that. It's just like, I'm just astonished. I'm really, even now, even two years later, I'm like, what happened? What? Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here on Tom Mullen talks freedom, you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at Tom Mullen talks, freedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show 
at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. Yeah, it's it's astonishing what the public is ready and willing to swallow, even, you know, years later now when it's apparent, obviously, that these states that at least got out of this crazy mode at the beginning of last year, the deadliest year for COVID, that there's not bodies piled up in these states. Right. And then if you try to if you try to say this to somebody, they come up with statistic. They try to tease out of some article in the Washington Post. And I'm saying, look, you don't need a study to know this. Look with your eyes. You know, you would be hearing about the, the disasters in these places. Right. If they kind, were of the way that, kind of the way that we're hearing about people dropping dead, you know, in their <laughs> 30s and 40s from heart conditions now, kind of the way you're seeing all this around you, you know, yeah, you'd have some sense. Yeah, it's it's. I, I guess I hadn't really appreciated the extent to which people are really ruled by emotion. And that's what this kind of thing does. You know, when you, when you, when there's some big thing that people are supposed to be afraid of and you successfully get people to be afraid of it, the brains just shut off and it's, uh, it's. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I would say fear has something to do with some part of the population with the COVID thing. Because I know that like my friend has a lot of properties and not not he's not like a slumlord, so to speak. Not that there's anything wrong with slumlords, but he he has properties kind of on the border, lower working class poor. And a lot of those people are still wearing masks in Erie County. Again, neighborhoods like that up here in Niagara County, nobody's wearing them. So it's just it's weird. But maybe there's fear there. But some of it's it's got to be something else. It's like tribalism. I've heard that as an explanation, like this whole Ukraine thing that people just, you know, kind of viscerally jump on this. And 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 all of a sudden it means so much to them because what? Because Katie Couric told you, to? I mean, how pathetic is that? Yeah, I think our our society has been primed for a long time, probably going back since before I even noticed it, but for for years, I've been noticing that, you know, what we all see now, the division, the divisiveness, the the shutting down of rational discourse, or the shutting down of kind of, it's it's not okay to talk with the other side. You know, it, it kind of is for, for some of us on this side, we, you know, we seek them out. I know, I know people who have like offered bounties, offered, you know, tens and thousands of dollars in in reward money if somebody will come and debate them and of course it never happens but just sort of the shutting down of debate the shutting down of even any any conversation between opposing sides and then yeah the tribalism the just that becoming more and more fierce and more ingrained and i don't know i mean i feel like we've watched it happen slowly over the last you know couple decades at least but I, I don't know. I don't know why I, I don't know why it's so successful. I don't know why people are so are so susceptible to that. 
Yeah, I've been trying to figure out, was there a turning point? Is it just a continuum? Because, for example, my daughter was born in 2005, and I was already years before that. We ever have children, we're homeschool, not going to school, you know, and that was long before Trump or Obama or any of this. And I already, and my main thing was that they, you know, they brainwash them to be anti-capitalist that was my main worry that's the least of my worries now right. to send them to school right i mean they come out believing all kinds of idiotic things yeah it's it says well one i mean one thing that occurs to me is is i think you know the whole thing about the frog in the pot and the boiling you know you boil them slowly i i lived overseas for a number of years pretty much came back i came back a couple times and went back but when i came back in the mid 90s, even back then, it shocked me the extent to which fear was just in the air everywhere. Like I was coming from Japan. And in Japan, the nightly news, they talk about the news items, but they do it in a calm, you know, very matter of fact way. And then they tell you where to go to see the best cherry blossoms, or, you know, the best the autumn leaves, if it's that season, they'll have a whole map of here's where you can go, the best plum blossoms are here and da, da, da. And that's their focus. You know, it's not, it's not this pumping up of, oh, here's what you should be afraid of. Here's, you know, watch out. Oh, and here's a live cop show where they're bursting into people's homes and dragging the people out. Coming back here, just in terms of what I saw in the media and like the news, but also like TV and, and movies and everything. It's like this constant drumbeat of things to be afraid of. And that's how the news is presented. It's it's all these things you need to be afraid of. And I I mean, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks back then. And that was the mid 90s. I think it's probably just gotten worse since then. And, you know, maybe, maybe I've noticed it a little more because I had something to compare it to. But if you're just living in this, and that's all you know, you know, yeah, you're going to be filled with fear. And, and, and I think I suspect that that fear breeds tribalism because you're like you're you're it's it's pushing sort of the thought processes down from the higher levels into the lower levels. And that's when people start like looking for things to identify with and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, rationally so in some ways, because if you're threatened, you want your group of people who are going to support you and believe the things you believe in and who you can trust. So you know, it kind of makes sense in a way, but it, the, the degree to which it's happened, I never would have thought. I really, as cynical as I was about American culture and about the government and all that stuff, I really, I wouldn't have, because we've seen this elsewhere. You know, we've you mentioned Maoist China. It's like, this is, this is a modern day version of that. And you'd think people would know better. Well, I, I'll tell you, it's funny. I, I had somewhat the same experience back when I was in the hearing aid business. What? I used to go over to Germany quite a bit. And this was in the mid 2000s when the war on terror was just really getting into its own. And that's where I noticed that when and I went to Hamburg, that's where the company that we did business with was based. So I went there quite a bit. And I noticed just the police presence wasn't there. That's what hit me about that city. And I spent some time in some in other cities there. I went to Cologne. I went to Munich, but mostly Hamburg. And I remembered that like the first two trips, which were each about a week long, I never saw any police officers. 
And then finally on the third trip, I was there like over a weekend and I saw two like right near the Reaper bond, which is like their party district. And it just hit me when I came back that, and at the time I lived in Florida. So I had about a 40 minute commute to the office and I would pass like 10 people pulled over by the cops. And I just thought like, that's even different than up here in Western New York, where you've got all kinds of regulations on business and higher taxes, but the cops are not nearly as aggressive up here as they were in mm -hmm. Florida, which is freer in other ways. But this whole perception of the land of the free and, and until I made those trips and I made some trips to some other countries as well, I always thought, yeah, the government's too oppressive here, but it's worse everywhere else. And now I'm not so sure. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's something I, I've, I've been hearing that from people for years and years and years. And it's mostly people who've never lived overseas. I did a paper many, many years ago comparing, oh gosh, when was it? It was act actually just before the Hong Kong handover. So comparing the Hong Kong economy to the U.S. economy in terms of freedom. So looking at Hong Kong as a, mo a model of economic freedom. And it was just, it was so clear. And anyone who knows anything about Hong Kong would, would know that. So clear that it was, you know, light years ahead of the U.S. in terms of economic freedom. People can do what they want. They can set up their own businesses. It's just minimal taxation, all this stuff. But what's harder to get across was it was socially more free too. There wasn't that same police presence. In the US, if I see police officers, I, I avoid them. In Hong Kong, it was just a different attitude. You never had the sense that they, they weren't menacing. I mean, now I think it's probably changed, you know, after, after the demonstrations and everything. It's, I haven't been back there since then. I'm sure it's very different. But, you know, when I was living there, there wasn't that kind of police presence. There wasn't the war on drugs. Yes, they had laws against drugs, they didn't and they didn't have, you know, whole SWAT teams and police departments geared up like, you know, military, mini militaries to go after people. They just it wasn't enforced that way. And so even on, you know, on a personal level, it just felt so much more free. And Japan, too. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, that's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. How could I think about love with a girl like you? A girl like you. With a girl like you. A girl like you. With a girl like you. Even Europe. I mean, when I would travel in Europe, 
my, my sense in traveling in Europe, and again, this is going back like 10 years or so, is that the people there are adults. You know, they, they behave like adults and they get to, which I don't, I don't mean that they're like always responsible or doing the right thing, but in America, you're kind of, if you go to government schools, you're kind of raised with this idea that, well, once, you know, when you're an adult, you know, you can't have freedom as a child because, you know, we know what you all would do. And once you're an adult, you got to be free and you got to make your own decisions. But in reality, that's kind of not how it is. In Europe, I get the sense that, oh, these people actually are adults. These people actually do get to do, you know, and it's hard to sort of give examples of that, but just there's not that sense of either an oppressive police force or the constant questioning, can I do this? Can I not do this? In business, there has to be because, you know, in a lot of ways, Europe, they're, they're even more restrictive than in the U.S. But in, in personal ways, I'd say there are a lot of places that at least, you know, 10 years ago, much more free than the US, but because we've been fed this line since, since, you know, childhood that it's the freest nation on earth, people just, they just parrot it. They just parrot it back. And it's not true. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's different aspects in different places. It's funny that with that company back then, we were thinking about mass producing an item ourselves that would be less than a hearing aid. And we had this whole business plan for this. And we looked into producing it in China. And actually, one of the partners in the business had uh, an interest in a manufacturing a factory in China. He owned part of it. And in order to, to set up operations and start producing this device, it was a matter of, you know, once we had the plans here in the U.S. for distributing it in place, a couple of weeks, it's basically we got an empty room. You set up the equipment, you set up the assembly line, and you just do it. Hire the people and do it. There's nobody to get a permit from. There's no there's no FDA. to. Well, there is an FDA, but you didn't have to go get permission from them to do anything like this. And it was just very unregulated. And what stopped us from doing it was we weren't allowed to sell the thing here because of <laughs> Florida regulations that said, you know, you had to have all these onerous uh, licenses that, that would have made the cost save. What we were trying to do is produce something that would be less expensive for first-time hearing aid users. So we wanted to sell something that would cost about, at the time, 300 bucks, when a good pair of hearing aids at the time cost about 3,000 bucks. So, and, and that cost was justified. Given you can't buy a hearing aid without it, fitting, fit it being fitted by a licensed professional. And at the time, here's a little sidetrack, and I think this is still the case. You have these licensed hearing aid specialists who are just lay people who got a license. And then you have audiologists who, you know, have got a degree. And at the time, the audiologists were trying to force the specialists out because, you know, even that was less cost. So it's always the same thing. It's always that the so-called safety regulations are just trying to limit competition and raise the price. That was no different in, the, in our industry. We ended up not being able to offer this product, which would have helped a lot of people at a much lower cost because of regulations here. No problem in communist China. You right. know? We're, right. They're like, let it rip. If you're going to bring in revenue and pay some taxes, go ahead, you know? Yeah, I mean, they learned the hard lesson of, I mean, to the to the credit of the Chinese government, they actually 
learned something from their experience with communism and initiated real economic reforms. I don't see that happening here. I don't, I, I can't, I don't know, maybe it's because it was, it's, you know, an explicit dictatorship over there, they could just turn on a dime, but it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of nuts. And, you know, I've heard lots of stories like that, where it's like, yeah, you can do this in China, you can do that in China, you can, you know, I've seen some crazy things that, you know, probably even shouldn't have been legal. But yeah, even in even in mainland China, there's freedom to do stuff that you can't do here. It's just, it, and I, and I think, you know, I'm hoping that after these last two years, there's more of a recognition of the evils of licensing, because that's really at the root of so much of it from, from like medical licensing, device licensing, licensing of products and services, but also business licensing. I mean, the way that they got the businesses, the way they were able to control the businesses when they were, because there were, you know, there were some businesses that didn't go along with it and, and, you know, yay for them, but was through licensing. They just, they threatened to, to revoke the business licenses of the restaurants that wouldn't comply. We had one in our former town in California, there was a restaurant that, that, you know, steadfastly did not comply with the mandates and the city destroyed them. They took away their license. They, they shut them down. They, they, sh they shut off their power. I think they shut off the water too. They shut off their power and people brought in generators and they were like, they were still up and running. And it was, it was really awesome. I mean, the, the level of support from people, the place was packed. The place was packed all the time. And then finally they built a chain link fence around it and they had like police guards. I mean, it became absurd, <laughs> but they wanted to make an example of them. And, and the, the, the rationale for all of that was they, you know, they were licensed by the city. They they had a business license, which the city could, and that and the whole monopoly on power, on, on electric power and water are things that I hope people are, are taking another look at now, because that's also something that was used to coerce people. That's one of the things when they, when like the Libertarian Party will say, concentrate on your, in your town and your city and get elected to a local office. And I'm like, yeah, but we're not going to de-Sovietize the water system, are we, or the roads? So what's what's you know what can you do? But I am wrong on that. They they do have a look, good list of things you can do. But the other thing I wanted to bring up, I, I know we got to wrap it up in a few minutes. But in addition to licensing, also this whole idea of the emer the declaring an emergency that there are laws on the books that say I'm going to declare an emergency, and then all of a sudden everything changes, you know, at the federal level, it's even more ridiculous, but at the state level, the governor declares an emergency. And then there's a whole list of things he's allowed to do that he wouldn't be allowed to do normally. That's just an idea that has to go away. It has to go. I mean, their power to do that has to go away because the other thing we saw in California was governor Newsom. So Kevin Kiley and was Gallagher took Newsom to court over some of his orders and they won. So his orders were declared to be, not all of them, but this one order in particular was declared to be unconstitutional. And it went through the appeal, it went through an appeal court and it came out, on, they came out on top on the appeal court too. And in the ruling, the judge said, basically, this is not, this ruling does not just apply to this one order, but to all the orders you issued under this, under this guise. Didn't make a difference. He didn't stop. So I think our the real question for libertarians is, and I don't think you even have to be a libertarian to think this way anymore, but how do we enforce, you know, even, even when we can use 
the constitution and common law to go after these people. And even when we went in the courts, what enforcement power do we have? You know, how do we, how do we enforce a legitimate ruling against someone or how do we enforce our rights against these folks? It can't just be the second amendment. You know, we've got it. We have to, there has to be some way of holding these people accountable, you know, that doesn't just devolve into violence. Well, and the other thing I discovered, I guess I kind of knew this, or I just never thought about it was, is how terrible our state constitutions are because everyone's familiar with the idea. I mean, (laughs) they don't enforce it, but that the federal government has this list of powers and that's the only thing that they're allowed to do. But the states basically can do anything they want as long as they don't violate the state bill of rights. So it's backwards. It's, it's open-ended. And uh, that's where, I mean, they passed these emergency laws And I went and found the one in New York and it had a list that said close down something of public amusement, establishments of public amusement, something to that effect, and then a whole list of other things. But then even on the list, which would almost substitute for enumerated powers in a constant, then the governor just started making things up. And I think they all did. You know, what it's not on the list. It doesn't even sound like it's related to what's on the list. Here's what I think we should do today. Right. I mean, that's what it was like in California. It was completely just making stuff up. And honestly, it doesn't matter. There, I think what we learned was is there is no, even when people are trying to hold them accountable to the law as it exists, doesn't matter because there's there's no way to enforce it. You know, unless you personally sue the individuals, which I think is kind of the way to go about doing it is find some way to, to go after the actual individuals. But I think what we learned is we don't have, you know, what my dad was saying his whole life is the Constitution is meaningless. It's not, you know, by itself, it's not going to protect your rights. It's not going to it's not going to do anything. Interesting fact about the California Constitution. I think this is in the Constitution. It's in California law. It may it may be statutory law. It might not be the Constitution. But the Nuremberg Code, the, the Nuremberg principles are are in California law. They're written into California law. So none of this should have been happening in California, you know, forced, 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 forced treatment with experimental medical products and all this stuff shouldn't have been happening in a place where the Nuremberg code is, is actually written into the law, but. Yeah. And well, what you said and what your dad always said is uh, that's it. I mean, a big argument against, let's say anarcho-capitalism, you know, a, a stateless society is that, well, everybody would have to agree or most people would have to agree that that's the system they wanted. Well, it's the same with the Constitution. Now that nobody cares about it, it really, it's a dead letter, right? I mean, they're not supposed to do anything other than regulate interstate commerce. Well, we're just going to call everything interstate commerce. And if nobody objects, then those words on that paper don't mean anything. George Bush was right. Anyway, we, you know, the thing we got away from and I wanted to find out. So you're kicked off Twitter, at least right now. You have not, you know, begged for forgiveness and done your duty to delete your own tweet. What What are you going to do and what, how do you feel about it? I actually feel really good about it. I feel like I've earned a badge of honor, which given how silly the tweet was, I can't really say it is a badge of honor because it was just so ridiculous. So, I, I you know, I am at this point where it's like if you haven't been kicked off of Twitter yet, I'm suspicious of you. Um, you got it. It's like, it's the point now where you really got to be working a little harder. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to, what to say, but 
you got to at least get a suspension or people are going to be looking at you funny. And there are some really good people who are still left there. And I don't know how they've, I think, do you, well, okay, I won't go into that. I, I will grant them that in October of 2019, I didn't know it was going to be COVID. So if, if, you know, if they're being really nitpicky and, and just saying that, well, you couldn't have known that COVID was going to be the scam. Well, no, I knew there was going to be a pandemic scam or an epidemic scam. I didn't know it was going to be COVID. So on that technicality, I don't mind deleting the tweet because it's not like it's no, this is the truth. This is okay. Fair enough. They got me on a technicality, but here's the thing. I just feel so much freer without that sort of cost on my time. And it's not like I was spending a ton of time on Twitter, but being without it for like the first day, I was like, just this relief of, oh, that's one more site that I don't have to go check. I don't have to wade through the crap to get to the good stuff because there is still some good stuff there. But it just really made me realize how much of my own time I was wasting during the day, like in between things, when I've got a couple a couple seconds and I can just look at something quickly and then it, I get sucked down the path. And it just, it made me how, even though I think I'm pretty conscious of not wasting time on social media, I was still wasting time on social media. And so that's been a blessing. That's like, okay, I, they, they, they've given me a gift by, by blocking me from that site. So I'm going to keep it up for now. If there's ever a compelling reason why I really need to get back on. I mean, it does, it limits my reach for sure. But what I've decided to do, because I'm on sub, I've been on Substack for a while and I also have a private Substack group and I have a private membership group on top of that. So that's kind of where I'm focusing my energy. And I think what I'm going to do next is really see how much, how much reach can I get by focusing on Substack and by like promoting my stuff through Substack and, you know, word of mouth and that kind of thing without Twitter. So it's going to be an interesting exercise for me because that's really the only downside. The only downside is that I lose what reach I had and I didn't have a huge reach anyway. So it's not, it's not like some, you know, it's not like when some of the big guys get kicked off and they, they're leaving behind tens of thousands of followers. So we'll see. Yeah. I've, I've been on Twitter for 11 years and I've only got a couple of thousand followers there and I've already got more, you know, doing this kind of thing. And I don't know where they came from other than a few appearances on on big podcasts and, and webcasts, but yeah, I, I mean, we certainly can do without these people. And you got to wonder at this point too, if, like you said, if they're on there and they haven't been kicked off, then are they ever going to hear your message anyway? And, and, or are they a bot that we have that to worry about now after Elon Musk's whole fiasco there? So, right. And we'll, we'll see, we'll see about that. Yeah. It's interesting sort of shifting sands in the whole, in the social media world. And I do think, I mean, I've got a podcast too. I've been focused on other stuff for several months, so I haven't really been doing much of it, but you were on my podcast once a while ago, but I feel like the podcast space is kind of for now anyway, is a lot more free. So that's kind of maybe where the, the better conversations are happening. Podcasts and Substack is great. There, you know, so many of the Twitter refugees are on Substack now. Yeah. And I've got your on the banks Substack. I don't think I realized you have another one. What's the other one called? I have another one. It's, it's called building parallel solutions, but it's private. So people have to actually email me to get on that group. And it's really, that group is for people who are serious about building parallel solutions. So 
creating, you know, alternative solutions in healthcare, education, the law, all the areas where, you know, the state has kind of taken over and is destroying them. We're building a new food independence, that kind of thing. So people who are, who really want to be involved in doing those things, just email me and you can get on the Building Parallel Solutions substack. And they can email you on your other substack, which is on the banks, which I'll link to, correct? Yes, that's probably the easiest way. Yeah. And remind me again, the name of the podcast? It's called What Then Must We Do? Hmm. Sounds somewhat Hoppian, didn't he? Or were you invoking Lenin directly? Uh, I was I was thinking more, not Solzhenitsyn, not Lenin, the other Russian dude, I'm blanking on his name now, but I was thinking more in terms of, of sort of focusing on, you know, rather, rather than complaining, let's be focused on action and not, not the kind of action Lenin was focused on by any means, but more rebuilding rather, rather than, you know, complaining about all the, the, craziness that's going on, which, you know, we could do forever, that we really need to be putting our energies into, into rebuilding what's been destroyed and what's kind of only going to get worse in the coming years. Well, I will tell you that I've got complaining down, held down here. So if you want to go on and save the world, then please. I have a whole career in complaining. (laughs) It comes easily. (laughs) It's yeah, but it's not going to fix it's. I can't say it's not going to fix anything. It might wake some people up and I still do it. I can't say I don't complain and I don't talk about, you know, what's wrong, but we really just need to be building. We need to be creating solutions. Yeah, I agree. Well, Brittany, thanks so much for stopping by. I've got to do this more often, especially now that you're in a free state. You can tell me what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to ItsTheFedStupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's The Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.